sing with me, ladies. Sing with the gals over there. We're gonna, men, we're gonna take the bottom half of the screen. Ladies are gonna take the top. All right, here we go. You are Lord of Lords. You are King of Kings. My name is Dan Asbill. I'm the deacon of the week this week. Uh, my number's on the screen. If you have any needs or uh, just like me to pray for you, uh, feel free to call or, or text me. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Lord, uh, we just thank you so much for today. Uh, we thank you for this chance to be here, uh, to worship you, um, and to um, uh, learn more about you and, and your plan for our life and, and the life of our church. Uh, we just ask that you would uh, be with us as we um, try to impact our community and uh, just help us to um, see ways that uh, we can uh, just share your word with those around us and, and bring people uh, to you and your kingdom. Uh, we just ask that you would bless this service and uh, pray that it would uh, speak to anybody who uh, needs to hear your word this morning, and uh, we just love you and thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please remain standing. Our gospel reading this morning is from Luke chapter 4, and uh, if you will recall during Advent, we read um, this passage from Isaiah where Jesus announces who he is, and uh, that we get to read that again this morning yeah, out of Luke. Let's read together. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Luke 4, 14 through 21. 
If you would, just remain standing while we sing this next song. We just learned this, and uh, then we're going to be reading a psalm reading, so I figure you might as well stay up, right? Here we go. Three, four. I will pray rejoicing from my heart. Pray rejoicing from my heart. For in him my victory's lifted high. His salvation is my cry. He's overcome my enemy. Our praise is for the enemy. I delight in his deliverance. The Lord is our deliverance. As the promise to our songs and There is no one holy like the Lord. Holy, holy is the Lord. Our rock and refuge is our God. All the earth belongs to God. Do not speak with pride of noble deeds. For the Lord will weigh our every deed. See the strong have lost, the weak have gained. And from the dust by life he raised. As the promise to our sons and Psalm 19, let's read this aloud together. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. 
It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, we are here to worship a great God. And what we do in this room doesn't even come close uh, to expressing the greatness of our God, but let's do our best as we sing together.
him.
worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great
indeed he does great things. Let me just remind you, oh, thank you, Lois. There's a kitchen training this evening. At what time? Six o'clock. All right. That's not what I was going to remind you of, but Lois held up the sign, which I asked her to do. And so she wasn't just being rude. She was being helpful. <laughs> and, okay, so there's one more time also. So if you help in the kitchen, um, you know, it's time for us to, to let you walk through and, and uh, learn a little bit how to use the equipment, those kind of things. And so Lois will be here and some others to walk you through that this evening at 6. And, and then again, is it on Monday or Tuesday? Tuesday. At what time? Three o'clock or something like that on Tuesday. So check, check in with us. And, um, but what I was beginning to remind you of is uh, we have rescheduled the ordination for Kevin and Ben Griffey. Uh, it will be next Sunday. The ordaining council will meet at five. The ordaining worship will be at six. And we'll be finished. You won't miss much of the Chiefs game. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's pray together. Father, today I pray you will, by the power of your Holy Spirit, just protect the unity of this body. May we be one in purpose. And may our purpose clearly be your purpose. A redemptive purpose that helps to make disciples in this community. So Lord, I pray that you'll guide us every step of the way as we seek to be your disciple makers and impact our community by bringing the good news of the gospel to every household. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we're looking at 1 Corinthians, and I, I just want to jump right into uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 uh, through 17, where Paul writes, I appeal to you brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there are, be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say they were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. 
For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Division in the church is a big problem. It was a big problem in Corinth. It's a big problem in churches today. Um, and Paul, Paul devotes a lengthy section of 1 Corinthians just to this subject. Actually, the first four chapters are all linked together about, around the common idea of unity in, in the body. And, and, and as, he, as he does this, he, he, he is deeply concerned about this issue of, 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 and problem of disunity. The, the divisions that he makes reference to here in chapter 1 do not suggest that the church had split, um, but their future was, was severely threatened by if by misplaced loyalty to leaders, to human leaders, and a misunderstanding of the gospel, if, if they don't figure this out, they will be splitting. They'll be dividing, and it will, be, it will damage the work of the advancement of the gospel in the city of Corinth. And Paul is, Paul is deeply, deeply concerned about this about this church's future and so he he addresses them straightforwardly now when we study paul or any of the gospel writers but you are of the biblical writers you you do we are introduced sometimes to principles and sometimes to practices and in when we are introduced to a principle these are things that transfer across the ages. And so principles go beyond local congregations. And sometimes, sometimes Paul talks about specific practices in a specific congregation. And most of the time, by the way, when he talks about those, he's talking about them because they are a problem in that congregation. And so those practices do not necessarily transfer from one generation to the next or from one congregation to the next because, because sometimes he's just being very specific with a very uh, exact location in a specific church. But here, Paul, Paul lays out in these four chapters a principle, a principle for all of us to take seriously and to lean into and to understand. And his principle is this. Do not do anything internally which disrupts the unity of the church. So to put this in, in, an, in, uh, in another way, I, I, I am charged by the Scripture to not do anything knowingly which will disrupt the unity of the body of Christ where I am a member and where I serve. And, and it doesn't just apply to me, by the way. I'm putting it in the first person 
just so you won't feel quite so threatened. Get over it. It applies to all of us. Every one of us have a responsibility for the unity of this body. And, and so the principle is just don't do anything as a member internally which disrupts the unity of the church. Now, Paul had received the word from Chloe's house that this was happening. They were, they, were, they, were, they were doing things that was disrupting the unity of, of, of the church. And so he identifies some individuals. And so what was happening in the church is a, a group of people would say, I follow, I follow Paul. Well, you would expect there would be some loyalty to Paul. He, after all, came to Corinth. He spent 18 months there. He invested in them. He planted the church. And so on his second missionary journey, he was there. Many of them heard the gospel for the very first time because he was there. And so they developed they developed this loyalty to him. Now, there's a difference between loving a leader and developing a misplaced loyalty to that leader. And what Paul was observing was not, they weren't just loving him. They had a misplaced loyalty that they were, that they were uh, uh, attaching to him. And then he, he mentions uh, Apollos. Uh, some say, oh, I, I follow Apollos. Now, Apollos, um, he was a guy you might want to follow. Luke described him this way. Uh, he was from Alexandria. He was well-educated in the scriptures. He was an eloquent speaker. Luke wrote this about him in, um, in, in Acts chapter 18. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia. The brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him and wrote to his disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by the grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So Apollos is this well-educated, eloquent preacher, and you know some of the some of the other churches. Well, later on, the Corinthians accused Paul of being rather plain. But Apollos, Apollos, he he's he's the he's the preacher of preachers in Corinth. And, and people, people were attracted to him, and they, uh, and they connected with him inappropriately, with a loyalty, with a, with a misplaced loyalty that threatened the unity of the body. And then, then he mentions Cephas. Of course, we know Cephas, that, that's Peter. He, Peter must have made a trip to Corinth at some point. We don't have any biblical record of him being there, so we don't know for sure. But simply, 
simply his reputation would not be enough, it would seem, to cause a group of people in, in Corinth who'd never met him and just on the basis of his reputation would say, I follow, I follow Cephas. And then he mentions this other group. Now, this other group, they are an, they're an intriguing group because they say, I follow Christ. Now, what they meant by that, when you read the rest of 1 Corinthians, you soon learn what they meant by that was, we are the super Christians. We got this all figured out. <laughs> you know, sometimes old-time preachers would tell jokes. I, I'm not much for jokes, and I'm not going to tell a joke now, but, but they would sometimes they would sometimes tell about people who go to heaven and they walk through heaven and they say, who's this? And they're all praising God and everybody's having a good time. This group, and they see them praising God. And then they ask, who's that over there in the corner? Don't you think they're the only ones who are here? That's this group. That's this group of super Christians who say, we follow Christ. This was not a humble group who was seeking to know and get to know better Jesus. This was a group of proud, puffed-up people, and they, they had a misplaced loyalty. They misunderstood the gospel, and their misunderstanding led to threatening the unity of the body of the church at Corinth. So when, when Paul starts to look at this, he, he sees these individuals and he recognizes the issue. The issue is misplaced loyalty to human leaders. They, 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 lacked, they lacked this, we are in this together mentality, which every, which every church must have. You know, we, we look down the, down the row from us and realize we're in this together. And when things are good, we're in this together. And when things are not so good, we're in this together because we are simply in this together. Back in verse 9, Paul described, as we mentioned last week, this fellowship, this partnership that we have in, in Jesus because we have this partnership in Jesus, we are in this together. And over the last several weeks, I have, I've met some people uh, in our community in, uh, that, who I'd never met before, and it was, um, it's been, been really interesting. Some of the things that they would say to me, they would kind of so almost apologetically say, well, I don't go to your church anymore. Now, catch one thing. I always want to correct them at that point, but I'm courteous and just listen. It's not my church. He says, I don't go to your church anymore. Well, it's, it's not my church. And, and so I just listen to them. And, and what I hear when I listen to them is, is they, they were really connected to one of, of our former pastors. 
and they loved him. And when he moved to another church, they just gradually dropped out. And they quit coming because they had a, they really had a misplaced loyalty. So now, just let me clear off a spot here and let's have a conversation. If you do this, when I retire, I'll kick you in the leg. <laughs> because I, I'll know you've done it. Because Terry and I are going to be right here in the church. And if I kick you in the leg, you're going to go to the hospital with a broken leg because John French has taught me how to break bones. <laughs> See... Purely in self-defense, by the way. I, I should throw that in. Purely, purely in self-defense. And so if I break your leg, it's not an assault. It's defending the unity of the body of Christ. Paul pointed to the cross and said, Him. Him. Not them. See, the issue was misplaced loyalty to a human leader. Paul, Paul lets us in on something. Misplaced, misplaced unit, a loyalty to a human leader is insanity. This is how he lets us in on it. He says, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? Was, was Paul crucified for you? The word picture Paul uses it takes, is the taking of the body of the physical body of Jesus and dividing it up in parts and distributing it among the groups. Paul's saying, what you're doing when you say, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. What you're doing is you're chopping up Jesus and scattering him around. That's not what you want to do. So Paul, Paul comes right to his fan club, by the way, when he says, was I crucified for you? They had no basis for the insanity of, of misplaced loyalty because Paul said, Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom or eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The, the church Paul wants them and us to understand should not be about its leader. It must be about its Lord. And their behavior is the direct opposite of Paul's description in, in verse 9 when he just said, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship. That is a partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So with this, we have set the stage 
for Paul's appeal. So you, gotta, you have to go back to verse 10 now. We go back to verse 10. Paul says to them, three times he says, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to be, I want, to, I want you to be the same in what you say. Agree with one another in what you say. He says, the same in what you say. The same in what you think. Be perfectly united in mind. And the same in outlook. Be perfect, perfectly united in thought. So the outcome of this united speaking and thinking and outlook is that there would be no divisions among you. No divisions. The unity, the unity Paul called for them was for them to be one in purpose. He's not creating robots, by the way. He's not brainwashing people. He's just saying there needs to be a singular purpose for you. And, and you need to be united in, in the basic doctrines and the attitudes. And, and when, you, when you disagree on small things, do so agreeably. You know, one of the things, observations I've made of, of this great church across the years is we don't always agree with each other. We've had healthy, healthy disagreements. And we've spoken our convictions. And if it's up for a vote, the vote's taken, and then we all just go have coffee together. You know, we've not been disagreeable in our disagreements. We've, we've not been, as Paul described them, we've not been quarreling with each other. See, because, because we have a bond. We have a bond that is in Jesus Christ. And we have a singular purpose. It's not my purpose, it's not your purpose, it's his purpose. And his purpose, we clearly understand, is to make disciples in this community. To make disciples of all peoples starting in this community. So we clearly understand that we have this, we have this common rallying point. Make disciples for Jesus. Paul's appeal is that we would be one in purpose. And when the church is united, the church is at its best. And has the greatest opportunity to impact the community. No one in their right mind, 
I should add, wants to join a church quarreling. Quarreling churches don't reach people. They don't make disciples. And I'm grateful for the fact that we've, you know, God's blessed us. You've been so good to each other. And it's in this unity we have that our great opportunity for reaching this community is set before us. But really, each one of us has to face the question. We all have to face the question, am I a unity builder or buster? Do the things I say and do about related to the church build up the church or tear it down? Am I a builder or a buster? Am I making her better or just nagging at her? You know? Are we, do I see the opportunity God has set before us? Or do I just complain about something going on that I just don't like? Or maybe it's just my nature to complain whether I like it or not, you know. Some people are kind of wired that way. Am I a builder or a buster when it comes to the unity of the church? Builders remind us of why we're here. It's all about Jesus. Busters make the church all about them. And church members behaving badly have the effect of emptying the cross of its power. And the power of the cross is the transformation of people's lives. And we don't want to do anything which would strip the cross of its power. And if we act ugly, then people don't see the cross and the power of it. So let's be builders, not busters, so that we can focus on Christ's mission of salvation for all people. So if you're a believer here today, and primarily this, a lot of these sermons are going to be to believers, by the way, in case you didn't notice, kind of happens when Paul writes to the church, we have to speak to the church. And every believer here this morning is called to focus, just get your eyes on Jesus. This simple reminder, get your eyes on Jesus, bond your hearts together and pull together in making disciples. But if you're not yet a believer, the power of the cross is life-giving. The Bible sometimes describes us as being dead in our sin. 
But what the cross does and what Jesus does for us is he gives us life. He brings dead sinners to life again. And Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come to give life and to give it abundantly. And today, today you, you can receive what Jesus came to give in the confession, Jesus is Lord. When I lay aside my pride, confess my sin, acknowledge his resurrection, claim him as Lord, I receive, I receive life. Life which is the best possible life you can live now and a life that lasts forever. The gift is yours today because that's what Jesus came to give you if you're not yet a believer. So we're going to stand and sing, and when we sing this morning, we're just going to ask you, if you're in the room, step out, come, share with us. You may, as a believer, want to come, kneel, and pray in the altar because the Lord has just kind of held a mirror up in front of you, and across it it's written, Buster. And you need to do some business with Jesus. If you're looking for a church home, we'd welcome members at this time. We exist to fulfill the Great Commission by loving people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Come and join with us in his mission in this community. If you join us online, just go to our website, firstbaptistclinton.church. Click the I Want Jesus in My Life button. Or you may call or text me at the at 660-890-4150 so we can have the conversation. But if you're in the room today and you need to receive God's great gift of life through Jesus, right now is your opportunity. Come while we sing. Let's have a conversation about it right here at the front of the building this morning. While we sing, you come.